Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health, with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spalding. Welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. I am joined here today uh, with my wonderful co-host Kyle Myers. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Hank, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's a little bit rainy here in Ohio, where we're mm-hmm. at, um, <laughs> and everything. Uh, but what's going on in your life? How are you doing with? Uh, job stuff, life stuff, back stuff. Yeah, no, uh, pretty good, man. And feel like we're hitting a routine here. We've got spring break coming up, so uh, probably a lot more movie watching will be happening, and and actual getting some thoughts out there, which I haven't been able to t- uh, to really do or focus on uh, because of work. So and that sounds that sounds nice. Yeah, I'm, I mean, with the mental health profession, there's so much kind of mental energy you have to spend just with people mm-hmm. and, and emotional energy like that. I, I feel like people discount that. I mean, I do some on the pastoral side and that just drains me. And I'm sure that 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 hits you heavy too. And so like sometimes all you can do is just like sit and absorb, which is a great part of a movie, but sometimes even like thinking critically about a movie is hard. Yeah, no that. doubt. Of, yeah, 100. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sp- speaking of uh, going into our uh, segment, which is now two podcasts old, uh, our, what are you watching? So for uh, listeners of the podcast, uh, you will probably be aware of that we also like to recommend a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily cover on the podcast. And so we like to spend a few moments just sharing kind of some stuff that we've uh, been watching and maybe some stuff we like. So Kyle, what are you watching? Yeah, man. <clears throat> uh, I mean, based on our conversation today, Hunger, I was trying to revisit a number of films about the troubles in Northern Ireland and, and Northern Ireland history that are available. Uh, some I've seen and some I have not. Um, seen uh, Michael Collins, which is about the uh, Easter Rising uh, historical events, 1916, um, that where the film begins, and Michael Collins' kind of political journey um, in fighting against uh, Great Britain at that time through 1922, um, and coming to some agreements there, which we can talk about in in larger references context. Mm-hmm. Um, Belfast, which I mentioned last time, which is Kenneth Branagh's uh, autobiographical film uh, that's nominated for Oscars about his childhood in, in Northern Ireland, which I didn't love as a movie, but, uh, but it certainly gives uh, quite a bit of context there related to what it meant uh, in the late 60s, early 70s to be Protestant or Catholic and mm-hmm. how the politics um, were playing out and how that impacted you know, uh, being Catholic and being Protestant in Northern Ireland. Um, so lots of really interesting stuff there as well. Um, I watched a movie called Good Vibrations from 2012, which mm-hmm. is about kind of a um, biographical film about Terry Hooley, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, grew up in the Troubles in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and around the Bobby Sands time and oh, uh, yeah. the Hunger film we're getting ready to talk about in the, in the 80s. Uh, he opened up a record store, um, on a street that had been basically completely bombed out. Um, and he was not, you know, on either side and he was using music and the the emerging punk rock scene in Belfast, Mm. uh, to try to give people alternatives, uh, bands that had both Catholic and Protestant members together, 
um, on the radio and a way for people to connect outside of the political situation that it was in. It's a fascinating kind of story mm-hmm. uh, coming from that one. Uh, has been, you know, just an interesting journey to immerse yourself in all these different aspects of the the world. Yeah, and that's one thing I didn't really realize until after watching actually Hunger is how many movies have been made about this period of time. Yeah, with the troubles. Um, and um, and all I hope the to make I hope to make a list and uh, connect it on uh, Twitter. That's so, right. So you can see if you want to explore the movies, so I'll make a list for you. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll yeah. we'll drop that, um, and I'll, we'll make sure that that gets onto our. Um, Give us a follow, by the way, on Art yeah. House Road. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but also uh, follow us each individually. Uh, you've got Kyle at, at Cinema1978 and me at Duke13Theo. Uh, look for that if you're looking for those movies. Um, and it, it's interesting just to see all the different spectrums that these movies cover because there's also like Bloody Sunday, which is a very different yeah. kind of movie, and it covers a very specific event in the Troubles. Yeah, um, for sure. And things like that, too. And so it's in some sense for um, – and I know that we have a few people who listen – um, oversee across the pond as it is um, and I have a few friends who very dear friends who are Irish and they themselves you know experience these things very specifically but for an American audience um, to, to know that this kind of history is right there just across uh, across the way um, is important because it also you know not only uh, shows a kind of important historical moment um, in Ireland, but also can help us uh, read our moments as well. And I think that's one of the, again, again one of the things that movies do, do really well is help us to see ourselves in a new light. Um, and we talked about that a lot with the Joker. Um, and I wonder, because um, last time, and this is a kind of a transition moment, in our conversation on the Joker, um, and, and a little bit too with um, the uh, Oscar review, you kind of got into Belfast a bit, kind of like you did a little bit earlier, that movie that currently is nominated for uh, Best Picture. But I'm wondering, the thing that has piqued my interest since you said it, and I'm wondering if now you can kind of flesh it out a little bit more if, as, as you can, mm-hmm. that you said the thing that, with, that you struggled with with Belfast is that it didn't give you an avenue into empathy like hunger does. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that, because I found that to be a very fascinating comment, and I think that um, it would be really cool to hear a little bit more about what you're thinking with that. Yeah, well, generally speaking, um, coming from the mental health perspective of just defining empathy versus sympathy, Mm -hmm. right? So those are very different experiences. If I'm empathizing with you, um, then I'm, I'm suffering with you. I'm trying to understand your experience. Um, and be in your experience with you in so many ways. This is part of the power of what a movie can do. Versus sympathy, which is, you know, I'm telling a story uh, about myself or a larger story uh, in terms of literature or movies where I'm just uh, telling the story of being victimized. I'm telling the story of um, uh, that is is disconnecting because it's so – uh, distant and, and harsh, uh, like the Joker is the, the perfect example, as we kind of fleshed out last time, that you can't help but feel sorry for this person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and pity and sympathy, which is uh, not suffering with, like that's at a distance. And in a way, storytelling can create that experience where it's like pushing you away, mm-hmm. uh, wanting you to um, not join as much as feel sorry for. And then when you feel sorry for, feel guilty and when you feel guilty um you know think a different way or act a different way Mm -hmm. um and so that process um 
leans into codependency and these other things that are unhealthy for us in our emotional lives and spiritual lives where um, empathy is really allowing us to have an experience, yeah. right? Um, and find a connection and some spiritual insight or spiritual revelation um, that comes out of that that is not just guilt, that's yeah. not just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, pain, but there's some there's other things that emerge from that. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and one of the things I think that I love in your description there in – I feel like the director, Steve McQueen, we'll talk a little bit more about him here in a, in a minute, but I think he takes that idea head on because he actually, there's a moment in a kind of transition between the three movements of the, the movie mm-hmm. where he actually overlays uh, Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Whom if you have done any research on the troubles, you'll know that she's kind of at the heart of it. Um, and she's condemning the hunger strike, which is why the movie is called hunger. There's a hunger strike that happens in this prison. Um, with Bobby Sands, the main main character, at least the one that they put out in front of you for two of the acts. Yep. Um, and she talks about how the hunger strike is merely trying to seize upon the most base of human emotions, pity. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because if, in hearing you describe that, mm-hmm. the thing that really stands out to me is the fact that I think what they're actually trying to stir up is this suffering with when the, the, the narrative to try and discount it is this kind of pity. And that is a way to kind of dismiss it and move it away is to kind of feel that. And I think that's really profound uh, considering your definition, which I think is so helpful of this empathy as this kind of suffering with, co-laboring with, and an entrance into the woundedness of another. Um, That's actually really helpful. And I mean, again, I don't know if that's what he's going to do, but you know, hey, if he wasn't, he should (laughs) have, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's so helpful. That's so helpful because going back to the Joker and I've been, that one's been bouncing around my head a lot since we did that that podcast because the more and more I think about it I think the more and more you're right it seizes on a human emotion but to kind of like caricature it and then you know bleed out the worst possible parts of us yeah for sure um and I think that that's so cool uh that this movie challenges that um but at the same time um it's it's just such an interesting um it's just such an interesting take on this story um just for a brief context but as we're diving in here this movie uh, follows a first a blanket strike um, in, and I forget the name of the prison. Do you remember the name of the prison that this is in? Yeah, it's the Mays Prison. The it's Mays. very, very famous prison. Yeah. Okay, and in uh, in because of these events. That's right. In Northern Ireland, and basically the um, what had happened is Margaret Thatcher at that time, who's the prime minister, had this is historical. She has suspended um, kind of like political protection for um, the people in Northern Ireland that are wanting to create a united. Iron Irish Republic, basically, which means get yeah get the Great Britain out right of Northern Ireland right, um, and they're trying to they've been trying to achieve this in the Troubles for a decade, but this is according to you know um, Irish history mm-hmm. seven hundred years long of yeah. trying to get the um, Britain Empire out yeah um, so it's a, it has a very you know going talking about historical struggles and and narratives that get created um, and all these things that have more recently been challenged in the past couple of decades to create peace in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. uh, but you take on the identity right yeah um, and so during this time the Bobby Sands time they've been uh, both sides have been bombing one another right. and doing all these kind of guerrilla warfare uh, kinds of tactics um, to uh, to strengthen their uh, base or communicate, you know, uh, their frustration or whatever. And so, totally. as they 
uh, Bobby Sands and a number of others uh, got arrested for specifically for a, a furniture building bombing that That's killed, right. I think, four people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, got arrested, and so these prisoners uh, on the Britain side are seen as terrorists. Um, but they see themselves, the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army, mm-hmm. uh, soldiers, they see themselves as an army in political, uh, and that their acts of terrorism aren't terrorism, they're political acts. Yes. And so they are demanding political status, which gives you different, you, you have different, um, you're treated differently in prison with political status, basically. Right. You have different freedoms, uh, different opportunities, and instead, made very clear by um, Margaret Thatcher in the movie, uh, we're treating them like criminals, mm-hmm. um, and we're not going to treat them like uh, political, not right. give them political status. Right. Um, yeah. And so the the thing that you're kind of opened up with at the very beginning of the the movie is this kind of brief narrative of of the the very um, concise yet very deep detail that that Kyle just provided, and um, the prisoners are stri- doing a blanket strike where they refuse to wear the the clothes of a criminal. And they want to wear their own clothes, and so they're just in the prison naked, you know, fashioning like stuff. Blank, yeah, it's a blanket, blanket uh, protest or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They just have blankets to wear. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And they, um, but then they, I mean, the other part of it is that it moves into the hunger strike, which is the the main kind of like uh, thrust of the movie is how do we how do we protest this thing? And so, I, I mean, I guess the the place to dive into this now is just to take a little bit of a step back with that context in mind because the thing that's really hard about this movie is that there is this real um there's a difficulty with it and you know for for viewers who maybe have not seen hunger and maybe are considering it the thing you need to know going into it it's very it's a very harsh film to watch and hard um and i mean when you depict hard things in history you don't want to shy away from that i mean schindler's list for example i mean that depicts some very hard things um and within that you know for example like the the fact that the blanket strike is going on um you know the prisoners are nude a lot and you see like them you know smearing like poops and stuff yeah. and feet all over the walls and stuff and like they're dumping urine out into the hallways and so um you know guards are beating them um a ton you know and, and there's a lot of stuff here and so i wonder step, stepping back because this is actually a feature i think of of the director's kind of personality and so um, and I know that you have some ideas on this, Kyle. Um, yeah. Did you want to share a little bit kind of like about the, the difficulty of the movie and maybe like Steve McQueen's uh, director style no, for uh, sure. in general? Yeah, Yeah, which I think I think he sometimes achieved what we're talking about in terms of empathy mm-hmm. uh, and immersion, but I also think he pushes us away sometimes with the mm-hmm. brutality. Yes. Uh, and if you've seen a film of his, it's probably 12 Years a Slave, which yeah. won Best Picture 2012 maybe. Um, and was a bit of revelation in its own way just in making that kind of movie. Hollywood had obviously not been comfortable um, engaging slavery uh, from a black perspective, from uh, uh, just a straight-up painful perspective. The thing I like about 12 Years a Slave is ultimately it's a spiritual journey um, for, I forget the main character's name, uh, but you can't, you know, you can't get away from that. And so there's a lot of hope that comes along with that journey, but it's very brutal to witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he, you know, again, this comes into ethics, which I don't, you know, I haven't, um, landed in a specific ethical position about it, but subjectively it feels like there are times when like lines are crossed and you're, uh, you're not just communicating the brutality, like you're being brutal as a director, um, and you're limiting your audience at that point. Um, who's going to engage with this? 
uh, what you're going to take away from it. Mm -hmm. So if you can make it through the first, you know, 35 minutes of this movie in the first act, when all of the brutality in the prison is happening, um, you know, you've, that's, you've succeeded. Uh, and you get to uh, some very different parts of the movie after that, which are the parts that I uh, appreciate yeah. the most, um, which I'll talk about visually in a minute. But yes, um, the certainly engaging in the prison uh, with um, guards, prison guards and prisoners who are in direct opposition with one another mm-hmm. um, and are bringing a lot to, and this, you know, I think this does um, come back to uh, divisions in our own country around mm-hmm. um, supporting the cops versus supporting black lives matters. Right. Um, and they're not being, when we've, we've shut out a possible like conversation in between that things become, start to look, uh, very similar yeah. um, and you start to to take on an identity uh, or be on a team and you can it's very easy to justify acts of violence on either side and so this is what was happening in Northern Ireland um, through the troubles for 30 years but hundreds of years before that right um, in terms of uh, struggle and oppression and revolution um, uh, Actions and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but certainly in the last century of Northern Ireland, they have really struggled um, to get beyond these identifications. Yeah, yeah, and it's—I mean, one of the things that it points out is that you, one of the side stories that um, you see, like one of the first images you see, is actually of a prison guard uh, who himself is kind of coming from his home, mm-hmm. um, and he's played by Stuart Graham. Uh, the character's name is uh, Raymond Lohan. And so he goes into the prison and, you know, you don't really see any context at the time. Like he goes into the, the, the kind of locker room and he gets dressed and, and then you see him kind of like soaking his hand because it's bleeding and that kind of thing. And he's very stressed and sweaty. Later in the movie, they revisit that scene from the perspective of the prisoner, which is, you know, he's forcing him to take a bath because part of the blanket strike was also a refusal to bathe and shave and things like that. And so mm-hmm. he's, he's there cutting Bobby Sands hair and, and, and forcing him to bathe. And so it's this very brutal scene, like you said. Yeah. Um, and then later in that film, you know, he, he, he's gets killed by, um, a member of the opposition while he's visiting his mother in a nursing home. That's and right. so, you know, in, in a certain sense, like, I think you're right. It like, it, it definitely lays across that idea that this guy, you know, he, like you see him from both angles, the brutality of what he does to Bobby Sands, but then that kind of intimate moment with his mother who, you know, is basically comatose in a certain mm-hmm. sense, like not really responsive, um, him trying to be a good son. And it, it shows it shows some empathy there, too. And I, I, I think that's that's such a profound insight. And one of those things that you could miss, because in some sense, like I didn't even recognize the guard outside of the context of the prison uniform and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Like, who's sure. this person? And yeah, so I yeah. had to like, go back and be like, who is this person? And yeah. So, but I think that's also a, maybe a clever directing trick that they actually present him in a more human light when he's with his mom than when he's in the prison. For know, sure. Doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But. And you have to, yeah, take on the just understanding. There's another uh, sequence, too, uh, where they have a, a large amount of soldiers in the building and one mm-hmm. of them has a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember that oh, uh, yeah. scene kind of um, around the corner uh, sobbing and very upset. Right. And yeah. so, again, just uh, at least beginning to acknowledge the trauma, right? Uh, no matter what side you're on, you're being totally traumatized. And it's part of the conversation in part two mm-hmm. uh, when the priest is talking to Bobby Sands and says, you know, 
I don't know that you're in a position to make political choices right now because you've been living in this prison for four years. Uh, there's nothing normal about you. You're not connected to what's going on outside of this. You've been living in a prison that's with feces on the wall, uh, naked, being abused for four years. Like, you're traumatized, right? Mm. And, of course, yeah. these prison guards <clears throat> um, are traumatized because they don't know what's going to happen. The very first scene is that prison guard you're talking about um, as he gets dressed for work, and the first thing he does when he goes out is to check for bombs under his car. Yeah. And this is a daily uh, occurrence for you know most people living in Northern Ireland at that time. Uh, is to check their cars before they get in them because car bombs were uh, very much a way that um, mm -hmm. they they would either bomb buildings or kill people um, or whatever. And so very scary, you know, anxious uh, kind of place to be in and, mm -hmm. and uh, experience. Yeah, and I want to draw a comparison, if, if time permits for us, between what happens here and what we see like in something like the Stanford Project. Um, you know, this whole idea that the dehumanization mm -hmm. um, that occurs in the kind of the prisoner prison guard sure. relationship, even mm -hmm. just in that experiment. And we don't have to go deep into the, the Stanford project to, um, to get at that. But I, I see some of the things similar there just to give that like, so for those of you who don't know, there was this uh, study done in Stanford um, at Stanford university, basically about um, the relationship between guards and prisoners. And, and one of the things they did is they hired people just to participate in the study. They divided them into two, gave a certain half, like, kind of like a dehumanizing uh and it's not even dehumanizing they just gave them glasses sunglasses so that the prisoners couldn't see their eyes um and see how quickly the the way that the people who understood themselves to be guards would treat those who understood themselves to be prisoners mm -hmm. and in some sense you see a lot of that here i appreciated that scene with the the guard who's having the 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 meltdown because they're that whole scene there's basically they're coming in to check them for contraband and again it's a very violent scene yeah very and there's violent. they have this um you know there's this kind of like rhythm of them beating their batons against their shields it's disorienting you know and it's this kind of loud disruptive thing in some sense you can't really hear everything over that loud noise i mean but there's this there's the scene that kyle referenced um one of the main characters is kind of on the ground and he is just getting just beaten by this this baton just just brutally um and you can see the frustration in the prison guard's face as he's like laying into him even more and more and more and then that kind of cuts over to the the one who's having the breakdown and you start with him and end with him in that scene because it's him in the car getting out into with his riot gear into the um into the prison and then him having that kind of breakdown uh, out and around the corner while he's seeing the way that humans are being treated mm -hmm. um and one of the fascinating things about that as as you point out is just the fact that um you are dealing with humans treating other humans this way but there's almost this this permission this need to actually not recognize them as human uh, in order to do that well You've absolutely got to do that um well there's a scene too that i think thought was somewhat visually profound because there's a lot of silence happening there's not yeah. a lot of talking right yeah very minimalist with music in this yep um, but a scene with one a, a different prisoner uh, who's just come in actually, and he's standing at the grate by his window, and there's a fly in there uh, that he's just kind of like touching with his finger and maneuvering around. And in some ways, if you study how dehumanization happens in genocide and those different situations, um, one of the first ways to dehumanize a person or a group of people is to start referring to them as 
animals or as insects, mm, um, yep. as roaches, as, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that that was possibly a part of that sequence, this fly being kind of trapped uh, there too. And all, you know, this uh, it's quiet and there's not a lot of relationship happening mm-hmm. um, in general, but just this reduction, you know, to being mm-hmm. uh, filthy in this filthy environment uh, and being naked and being treated like, you know, somebody would swat a fly. Mm. Um, you know, this is how the prisoners are being treated. So I thought that was a less brutal way of communicating, you know, what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, the, the another thing that I've noticed, again, a, a great visual juxtaposition is you have the kind of unkept, untidy, covered in, mm-hmm. you know, human waste, um, naked prisoners and then kind of the sterile prison guards. Cause like yep. they have several scenes where they're cleaning up basically um, all of the stuff in the different cells, you know, again, very like hazmat suit kind of thing. But even in this scene, the, the brutality, you have the very clean, like um, SWAT kind of like um, uniforms with the heavy shields and the batons, um, like, you know, overprotected in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And then the very vulnerability of the prisoners Absolutely. in that sense. And it's, uh, it's, it's this kind of sterile, the picture of the sterile guards over and against the kind of dirty prisoners um, in a certain sense that, that kind of gives you one of that visual representation of that, uh, that kind of comes undone with the whole fly scene. But there's also, I mean, in a certain sense, I, that comes undone a little bit too in the third act with the hunger strike because you do have guards and doctors kind of like very intimately caring for Bobby Sands. Like, you know, there's one that's always posted with him to like carry mm-hmm. him from place to place and one who's you know, care like applying like ointment on the kind of the mm-hmm, sores on his mm-hmm. back and and stuff like that, and too. And so there's there's less of a distinction. There's kind of an intimacy there that is created from that. But I mean, definitely in the first act, it's like harsh, sterile separation, and then the second act, there's there's more of this. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I think again, as you're talking about it, it just visualizes the empire, right? Uh, the United Kingdom mm-hmm. um, versus mm-hmm. the very vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. the people of Ireland, I think, would describe themselves historically as a very vulnerable population being mm-hmm. taken advantage of and, um, and, and being treated differently uh, and not being treated as if they can, you know, mm-hmm. manage their own government, mm-hmm. um, being treated as peasants. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think and that actually kind of comes out in Belfast, too, when they're making the choice, the family to potentially move to London. Yeah. They wrestle through all of the, you know, we're going to talk differently. We're going to function differently. We're going to be away from everything. You know, how are we going, will we be able to integrate into, you know, the world of London, England, Mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of, you know, anxiety there because we were different. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's interesting, um, because of the backdrop of all of this, kind of something that we've only gestured to is, is just the political reality of this. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of politics at stake here. And I, I know that a few, like I mentioned, a few of our, our listeners, you know, actually live in Ireland and maybe have more um, history, direct family history to this. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the struggle here, and, and especially for, you know, maybe an American listener who is just now becoming um, aware of the troubles, um, you know, every nation kind of feels a little sequestered, uh, but in a globalized world, we're becoming more aware of the struggles, for lack sure. of a better term, of other, of other cultures. And so the challenge here is, is politics and this human struggle that we have towards doing what is right. And so when, for example, the main character who plays by, played by Bobby, uh, plays, who plays Bobby Sands is, uh, Michael Fassbender. He's the guy who plays that character. Um, 
he has this very wonderful conversation with a, a priest that I think is my favorite part of the film is just their kind of banter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he, at the end of it is talking about why he's going to go through with this hunger strike and how each person is going to like, uh, when one person dies, another person's going to start and it's going to, it's going to pick up. Um, but, uh, basically he, um, he, he, t- he tells a story about from when he was younger, mm-hmm. um, coming a, onto a stream with a group of young boys. Um, and there was a foal that was injured, um, kind of in the river. And, uh, you know, the, they were debating about what the, what they should do, put it out of its misery. And, and Bobby Sands actually as a young boy, you know, holds the foal's head underwater so that it drowns and dies. And he, he sees this as kind of like a moment of conviction that he knows what he's done. He, what he did was right, even though he gets into a lot of trouble, um, for this from the kind of religious um, individuals that are there at the um, at the creek and so in some sense he's reflecting that back on his political situation like this is kind of a um, a destructive thing that I know that I've done right by certain people right because the challenge that the priest pushes back against him is his family you know his, his wife his, his kid uh, his parents you know um, all of those responsibilities that he has yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think uh, one, a foal was a baby horse, just to give a, because I, I didn't uh, realize that when he was initially talking about it from a long time ago, but uh, significant in terms of uh, the action that he's taking, uh, having really compassion on this animal, uh, willing to get in trouble. But he's also communicating something about his personality. Yeah. Uh, that everybody else is standing around talking about what to do, and he knew what to do um, and did it, even though. Uh, the authorities that showed up and and he would get in trouble for it so it's kind of his own personal narrative and personality type uh, that he's capable of moving and doing Mm -hmm. and uh, deciding and and acting right yeah Um, which is um, powerful in its own way but the priest who I think ultimately I um, agree with in terms of uh, leaning into negotiations leaning into uh, what are other ways that we can be promoting, mm-hmm. you know, unity in Ireland um, and finding peaceful um, ways through? Because after the hunger strike happens, nine of the prisoners have died, mm-hmm. um, and they had some of the worst violence that they'd had in a decade following Bobby Sands because the, the recruitment for the IRA uh, increased, um, and violence increased, division increased, and I think those are the things that the priest was you know you know actively fighting against challenging bobby yeah uh with you know what's going to be the outcome here and challenging Mm -hmm. him and his own personality around martyrdom and these other things yeah 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 and i i mean i think that's one of the the things that's really hard about this and i appreciate that and c mcqueen takes on really difficult topics all the time but the thing that apparently as a young child like he was i remember reading an interview briefly as i was kind of researching this movie where he talks about like as a, as a young boy he actually saw pictures of bobby sands like on the news with mm-hmm. like how many days he's yeah been on the strike and that was very riveting and, and one of the reasons why bobby sands was put on the tv is because he was actually elected to political office during that time of, the, of his hunger strike and um you know the challenge is because i've heard from people who live in ireland who are on both sides of this conflict theologians that is are quite a bit older than me and one of which who's just passed on uh, billy abraham um and you know the hard thing and this is maybe a question to ask like the hard thing i i feel like about movies like this is that there there are so many stories on both sides of this the ira being a good thing and the ira being a bad thing um 
and and how do we be authentic about that with the struggles that we have because even with like with joker like you've said like the thing that it challenges people to, to do is actually just pick up you know burn burn the whole thing down did bobby sands actually um want that kind of like increase in violence in his own kind of mm-hmm. like un- like understanding of the hunger strike as you mentioned the priest wanted him not to do it because he would only make things worse in his opinion not only for bobby sands personally but also just for yeah uh ireland um yeah. and bobby sands seemed to kind of revel in the fact that they're the next generation is going to be the one that rises up and there's going to be yeah. a whole lot more people that join the cause as a result of it and as you said he's right that's what happens yeah but it only increases the violence and so you know without being insensitive to the fact that this is a very complex issue what do we do with the depiction of this human struggle and political reality whilst also trying to um, maintain the humanization of the figures within it on both sides. It seems kind of like an impossible task, but I mean, do you have any thoughts on kind of this like political difficulty that we're faced with in this movie and the fact that there's just so much nuance to this that can't be covered in a film? Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it is, it comes back to the whole idea of narrative. Mm -hmm. Like what story are we telling, Mm -hmm. right? And then how do we tell the story? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think my frustration with uh, what I qualify as Trump era Mm -hmm. movies, Hollywood movies and Parasite um, and Joker and others um, who uh, aren't asking those questions. Um, And there's a lot of, I don't know, incentive to tell certain kinds of stories with certain kinds of slants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on one side or the other. And this has not been, this is some, something relatively new for movies. A lot, mm-hmm. In some ways, movies have been, you know, one of the most unifying uh, places you can go to where uh, you can experience a story that's more universal and you can connect with, um, even with the representation issues. I think there's been a lot of, uh, you know, movies have been a great, a great place, safe place to go, right? right. They've become less so. Um, in the last decade, but anyways, so yeah, I think that that, that is, you know, extremely difficult in going back and making these movies. Bloody Sunday was a big movie for me back in 2002, 2003. So I graduated college in 2001, um, and began, you know, my own process of deconstruction after, uh, September 11th. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had never really paid attention to, uh, any of the divisive rumblings that may have existed previous to that, but they all came out very quickly onto the surface and right. how people were responding to September 11th and to terrorism and, and what to do next mm-hmm. and all those things. So I found myself, you know, very much in embracing Gandhi and the Bloody Sunday story of I- Ivan Cooper um, takes place in Londonderry in, in Northern Ireland. Ivan Cooper is very much of the Martin Luther King Gandhi kind of tribe of thought, nonviolence. He was part of the uh, Social Democratic and Labor Party, the SDLP, which were uh, advocates for I- Irish unification, but from a nonviolent standpoint. Mm. Uh, so they've been very much you know, part of working towards peace. But anyways, in this story, Ivan Cooper is trying to um, have basically a nonviolent march uh, that turns deadly, uh, one of the worst um, actions and, and uh, experiences uh, they had during the troubles. Um, but anyways, all this was fascinating to me around, you know, kind of who these characters are, who are um, working for peace and their ideology. And that opened up a lot of uh, things, which I think were good for me. Some of the post postmodern Christianity stuff um, was not sustainable, but, uh, but anyways, you know, I think that that, those were like 
um, interesting stories to be to be telling and mm-hmm. highlighting and um, showing, yeah, the the frustration of um, just not being able to to make it work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when it you know uh, did work again, this British Empire in India, um, Gandhi, you know, uh, uh, with with the many followers, worked to get the mm-hmm. empire out, and then you know they almost immediately go into civil war between Hindus and, and Islam Muslims, mm-hmm. um, and then same with Michael Collins in the early 1900s, uh, fighting again for freedom. Once they do establish the um, uh, Anglo, what's it, yeah, the Anglo-Irish Treaty, uh, and create the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, immediately they begin the split over. And that's when uh, there's a split in, I think, the IRA at that time, and all these different divisions of, you know, who's okay with what we have for now and we'll keep working versus the, uh, you know, we've been tricked, we've been duped, um, nothing has changed, and we're going to, you know, keep fighting in this revolutionary. A violent kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what I'm saying now. I'm just rambling. No. Based on your question there, but <laughs> there's just it. so many layers to to all of that. Um, and that's why I like good vibrations in a way um, that told an incredibly different story about the context of the troubles in the in the early '80s, late '70s, and early '80s, and punk rock scene, and something that like. Uh, Terry Hooley, who was also himself, you know, a doer and active, you know, uh, strong personality kind of person, which, you know, mm-hmm. had its own dark side at times, um, but mostly was just pushing for a third way, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so that third way for us as Christians obviously um, matters and is something we're constantly evaluating in our own ethics of how we respond to politics and, yeah. and what we do with all those things. And when we're always presented with two options, it's very frustrating to not feel like we're able to live out a third, a third yeah. option. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't think you were rambling at all. I thought that was really well said. And, and kind of the thing that comes to my mind is, um, and I don't know if you've read this novel, but there's a novel um, called Gilead by an author named Marilyn Robinson. Um, it's a quadrilogy. Um, highly recommend anyone out there who's listening. Uh, but this is not a book podcast; it's a movie podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing that I learned from that um, is that it tells one story from all these different characters' perspectives. So imagine a novel told from one person's perspective, and then the sequel to that is the same story told from another person within that story. And it's in all these different perspectives that pick up on all these different things. And one of the profound insights uh, a theologian pointed out to me years ago is it it highlights how we as humans are implicated in the world around us. There's no innocent place to stand. Um, and I think that's a really profound insight. And to your point, you know, dealing with the kind of the political uprising and upheaval and unrest that we've had really continuously since 2001 um, and the narrative of, of uh, you know, terrorism, you know, in this country and around the world. Um, but then, you know, even this story, too, is that they're they're in sense they're in this world, in this life. Um, theologically, there's no safe place to stand. We're all implicated in the world around us. And so the thing that you know your story highlights is that even the person who's trying to commit a life of nonviolence um, himself is is a part of this just really awful tragedy and, it, and of course it's not his fault but the whole idea is that the world around us requires a recognition of this implication because i think the division that you're talking about 
it, it arises from this place that we all want to be judged as good and faithful in mm-hmm. our own merits. Yeah, right. Um, when in fact, like if we look at it, especially from a theological lens, you know, grace is the way <laughs> yeah, right. that we are judged. And and I think that the problem is, is like there's this kind of toxic goodness. I talk about my, this in my classes all the time mm-hmm. that emerges from the sense that like, okay, well, um, God can be good even to someone like you. That's a phrase said by a, uh, a volunteer at a... Um, an AIDS uh, clinic um, talking to a person who has AIDS, you know, yeah, there's right. this assumption that I am good over and against your badness yeah. like, and God maybe could be good to you, even though you are bad. And we kind of set up these divisions. Um, and the point that the author makes and the theologian makes is that when we take that step back and say, no, actually we're all implicated in this. Mm-hmm. And the only way to actually be good in a world of implication and toxic goodness is solidarity. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the piece that you, that you really like I hear coming through in what you're saying because it's that dissatisfaction with this like either or kind of choice um, and the real volatile nature of humanity in, in especially in politics that really limits our ability to see each other as human and so maybe the vol- like as and this goes back to something you said earlier which again super brilliant is is that idea that this the thing that this movie does that other movies don't is that they invite you into a solidarity with a person whom you may or may not disagree with you know yeah. and that kind of recognition of implication and also the shared solidarity uh piece is so essential so i, I remember um and this is this is the last piece i'll share on this part but um i, I heard this theologian once share this image the difference between heaven and hell is this image and it's, it's all these people sitting at this huge table with these giant spoons. Maybe you've heard of this. Um, and hell is them trying to feed themselves with these huge spoons, but they can't, so they're starving for all eternity. The difference between that and heaven is that it's the same table, same food. Like, there's this bowl kind of in the center with these very long spoons. They're trying to dip it and serve themselves. That's how they starve. The difference between heaven and hell is that heaven, they learn to reach across the table and feed each other. Mm. You know, that's the difference. Um and so I wonder if that's not in some sense like on the kind of on the periphery maybe of this movie, you can get bogged down in the difficulty of this movie real easy as you can get bogged down in with the difficulty of life. Um, I do sometimes I do sometimes want to hear a little bit about the postmodern Christianity that you yeah, ran no into doubt. that wasn't sustainable, but no doubt. another podcast for another day. But sure. I, I wonder, I mean, does, do you think that that idea of implication is something that speaks into um, what? Uh, Steve McQueen is doing here in this movie and maybe the the narrative that he's trying to create about the troubles in Bobby Sands itself. Yeah, so what's your question? Uh, like, do you think that anything I said has any kind of weight, <laughs> basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, man, for sure. Um, and I think I was just thinking, one, coming back to some of the key images, one of the things that I, I really struggled with with Belfast was the lack of exploring Catholic, the Catholicism and, and being Protestant Oh, um, yeah. and what that means for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Branagh ultimately took a very secular, I mean, basically makes a sec- very secular statement at the end of the yeah. movie, yeah. which really bothered me. Um, but in Hunger, at least, I do. I think that there is, you know, in a lot of the uh, movies about the Troubles, um, I don't see a lot of exploring what faith actually means to people beyond this mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. Uh, division that it had become. Yeah. Uh, but it's everywhere. And so the thing I think I love about Hunger the most is once Bobby and the priests have had finished their mm-hmm. conversation. Yes. 
Um, so visually, it's very interesting, um, and I think it actually qualifies Catholicism here very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they show Bobby put out a cigarette in an ashtray. Yes. Um, and so you have all the ashes sitting there. Uh, and when he begins his um, hunger strike, it's the beginning of March, um, and mm-hmm. so you know it, it brings up Lent um, and ashes. Obviously, bring up Ash Wednesday and the importance of ashes in yes. uh, Catholicism, the Catholic faith, and also uh, for us as Anglicans, Protestants, uh, in, in a number of ways, but certainly very important in Catholicism. Yeah. And Bobby, and Bobby is there with the Catholic priest, and Bobby himself is on the Catholic side. Yeah. Um, so the ashes, and then we go to a hallway, and hallways and movies um, with any, you know, intention, sometimes without intention, are always in liminal spaces, meaning, you know, tra- transition kind of spaces from yeah. uh, one uh, part of something to another, obviously. Um, but internally, that represents something. And <clears throat> um, and then on the floor of the hallway, it's very long, again, silent sequence, um, that there has been urine on the floor, and so there's a prison guard there who is there to clean the floors and so putting uh, water and soap and whatever on <clears throat> chemicals on the floor uh, but a lot of water and then he actually washes the floor he goes from one part of the hallway down to the other yeah yeah and so the water I think as I uh, potentially mentioned last time is always ha- potentially has a baptismal kind of quality right right yeah um, very much a part of our faith and represents a cleansing so you've got this liminal hallway you've got this cleansing of the mm-hmm. floor happening and this is followed by Bobby's fasting um, and suffering and ultimately starving to death, right? But um, but he very much becomes kind of this like Christ uh, icon-looking, you know, kind of character, mm-hmm. um, and and representing that whether you agree with what he's doing or not, uh, the fact that uh, visually McQueen is allowing for you know Catholicism to have a part of this narrative. Yeah. One way or another, I thought you know was actually quite fascinating, and there's no you know Catholic statement happening. It's just you know the visual process of Lent uh, that we're that we're experiencing. Yeah, I, I love that. I hadn't picked up that that ashes piece. I think that's that's really profound and beautiful because they do have him and the his priest have a very have a very uh, intense conversation that circles around these theological themes. I think my yeah. favorite part of it was the conversation about the thief at the cross or the criminal at the cross with Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, again, a profound conversation to have inside of a prison. Um, sure. In itself. And in some sense, like the, I think that's interesting is Bobby Sands takes the, the side of saying, well, the criminal got off easy, mm-hmm. that kind of thing too. And, and, and it's interesting because the priest's response is like, well, even when it's crucified on your cross, mm-hmm. which he's making a larger point about. I think what Bobby Sands is thinking about doing and yeah. this theological element. And I, I, I do like that too, like that you point out that there's there's really a hesitancy to kind of give a kind of theological answer to a problem that you've been building. I think Midnight Mass falls the same issue. Like Mike Flanagan has like this really great um, story built and perfectly set up to have this theological answer, but he reaches instead for kind of like a more um, like secular humanist mm. answer. But I think despite himself in that movie, he actually still arrives at a theological answer. Yeah, sure. Um, because everything that he values in that movie is like self-sacrifice, virtue, yeah. care for the sick and the weak. Like that's that's central to Christianity. And the definition that he gave of like the resurrection in the first scene with one of the main characters, yeah. I think is actually a very beautiful 
like for a child who's lost before they are born, like what does that look like for them? I think that's actually quite robust and theological. Yeah. Um, and so I think despite himself, he does. Um, Belfast is, and again, I haven't seen that one. You know, it reaches for a humanist answer. Here, despite it, there's a sense of which there is a, there is a kind of like, um, there's a silence of the tomb that it ends on in a certain sense. Like it, there's no music really. Um, and it, watching him die, like reminds me a lot of the um, Eisenheim altarpiece, like the kind of the sickly Jesus hanging there on the yeah, cross absolutely. Um, is, is very clearly connected to that. Um, and I think that's very profound. I, I do want to spend a little time actually talking about the, and we've, we've kind of gestured to it and talked about it a little bit, but the, the interview with the priest, like him having that conversation, yeah. like is what else in that like really stand? If if there is anything else, maybe that you haven't covered, like uh, what about that scene so captivating? Because for me, it's it's the most captivating. Maybe not for you, but um, it is still a pretty interesting. Scene. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's interesting again from my growth point from you know mid two thousands when this came out uh, is when we we moved back to Columbus to the neighborhood of Franklinton, working at Lower Lights. Uh, and working from kind of idealism down, I mean, part of my story too is following Jesus wherever he takes us and, mm -hmm. and the kind of miracles he performs to get us one place to another uh, is definitely always there, part of the story. But mm -hmm. but we were also coming off of Shane Claiborne uh, and a lot of idealism about what it meant uh, to be Christian the right way um, and going in as kind of Enneagram One, you know, social justice um, kind of, ideals and building community around that. And, mm -hmm. and, um, so, you know, the conversation when I experienced it originally, uh, was very much like I was like, uh, totally identifying with Bobby Sands and just the kind of determination, uh, no matter what, um, mm -hmm. kind of experience versus now, I think as I've, you know, grown and I've been disappointed and I've not lived up to any of my ideals, um, and in fact, I've been humiliated and had to learn from um, all of that, right? And go through my own, you know, uh, post-deconstruction deconstruction, deconstruction mm -hmm. uh, to come back and rebound to something more solid um, and foundational. And, and I think what the priest in this scene is trying to communicate about the work to be done on the street, mm -hmm. you know, by the people who are not, you know, the IRA revolutionary mm -hmm. uh, people is where the work is going to continue to be always. Um, and, and they're the ones also being impacted by the actions, which nobody's voting for, you know, no civilian, quote unquote, uh, who's not uh, technically a member of the IRA is not voting, yes, we should bomb this building, or no, we should not, uh, even though it will likely have impact. You know, the, the retaliation is going to impact mm -hmm. civilians um, from that, and, and what does everybody actually want? And so just a sense of, um, you know, not just uh, Bobby being abnormal because he's been in this traumatic situation, uh, but there's also something disconnecting about him and his idealism and his in, in, extreme determination um, that that is farther and farther away from just being a person on the ground and taking right. care of, you know, the mother who did lose her child, right. um, or the you know the guy who's trying to get to work, um, who is also worried about car bombs, you know, yeah. um, all those kind of things, and and like how to, um, you know, love one another through these situations. Yeah. So that that really, you know, I think the challenge. Uh, was correct, um, and it also just represented where the priest is at. It's the priest work, yeah. You yeah. know, 
that's his work to be doing and him uh, obviously in support for the most part of um, the not the IRA's actions as much as like what they represent and what they want um, you know is frustrated that um, that again he's being brought in he, he, he's obviously frustrated he's being brought in for Bobby just to tell him what he's going what Bobby's going to do as opposed to asking any advice he's not right. there to ask advice right um, and so the priest is obviously frustrated that I'm just a sounding board. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that's, I, I think that's so interesting. Like the way you put that, that disconnect, like mm-hmm. the, the way that it can take you, it can be to places that are unfaithful. And I think the thing, another thing that you said that's kind of like stuck with me is the fact that he is so Bobby Sands is so traumatized by everything that's happening. Um, yet he's presented as this like very clear thinking, determined, as you said, person, kind of willing himself and and the word that comes to my mind is and i think this appears in the scene with the priest is this idea of grace you know in a world of self-determination where does grace fit in there yeah no doubt and it has to be as you say like being being on the ground and mourning for the person who lost the son mourning for the person who's just trying to get to work and has to worry about car bombs themselves um who has really no affiliation with the ira or really trying to upset the ira either yeah sure um there's that there's that line too i mean the thing that's great about this scene just visually and i appreciate this so much is that the director doesn't do what normal directors do which is like do the set up the camera to look at have like the priest look the and 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 bobby sands look so that you just go back and forth mm-hmm. between the two they do a little bit at the end focusing on yeah bobby purpose, sands yeah it's more the, subjective yeah yeah but i love the idea that you have to like you have to listen into that to figure out who's speaking like, cause it, Absolutely. it just, it's such, it's such quick banter. Um, and, and it's, I mean, I use the subtitles cause yeah, I don't understand their Irish accents are pretty thick. Yeah. And so just understanding what they're saying, uh, I think it's, uh, you have to have subtitles on to get the fullness of the conversation cause yeah. it is a lot of fun. And it's just, it's, it's in in depth and oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that's so great about this scene is just the fact that you do have this one who's just, he can match Bobby and quick wits but he he definitely has an eye towards things that bobby's not considering while he's in the prison because in a certain sense and this goes you know like foucault philosophically who writes a lot about prisons and um, jeremy bentham and things like that uh, people like that is the, the world inside of a prison is just all-encompassing yeah you know and so there's only inside the prison there's no outside and you see that also like with in more human struggles like with shawshank redemption for example like with morgan freeman's character yep. Um, who gets out and you know can't use the restroom without asking like um and the the struggle that he experiences you see this on the inside with bobby sands and in a different way Uh, and so that room for grace is kind of something i I wonder about because um in that sense um we really do get an eye at somebody who themselves don't really think about that subject because they're really just thinking about self-determinism and one of the things i'm really impressed with in certain sense visually is like the fact because i mean I'm, I'm thinking about this just like in empathy like could i do that like <laughs> he's sitting there laying on the bed and they're bringing out all this really like what looks like just really tasty food to sit next to him yeah the yeah. temptation that made me hungry yeah that's right it made me hungry and i'm not even doing the strike and that thing too and so that self-determination i think is incredible just to watch but at the same time it lacks that grace i think the grace comes back on the back end in the eyes of the doctor who's trying to treat this uh, person who's like destroying their body and things like that. And I think that's, that's, that's something that pulls out for me, but 
yeah, is there anything else that kind of sticks with you maybe about the scene or let's say maybe about the movie in general? Are there final kind of like reflections that you feel like are important for our listeners to know about this film? Well, you know, you follow, I guess, spoiler, he dies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That uh, I did enjoy the way that McQueen visualized um, one, just him going back into his childhood. Like sometimes his childhood self shows up in the hospital room, one. Right. Um, and then you see him, uh, you know, kind of remembering himself on the bus from the story he told and then cross con- doing cross-country running out in nature um, and kind of like, you know, uh, connecting with himself in that way. It's very, you know, obviously kind of dreamlike. Um, but then when... Um, Bobby Sands dies. There's this kind of beautiful uh, transition that's visualized with the birds. Oh yeah, um, and and some of that happening, which I just thought I don't know. <clears throat> that was gracious, uh, you know, for anybody who dies. It doesn't, you know, didn't come back to anything political or um, something other than you know uh, talking about what happened what after happened, that, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but just for for a person. Um, moving into death, I just thought that was um, yeah, yeah, a yeah. Good, gracious way to visualize that. Yeah, because there are a lot of ungracious ways to yeah, uh, think about death and that kind of thing in, in, in humane ways. And I mean, we've seen that as well. Um, and I, the image that I'm kind of left with, um, and maybe this is a place where we can kind of conclude our conversation because there's we could talk about this for like seven podcasts. Yeah, there's seriously. so much in here. And also, we kind of would love for you know you as you're comfortable with this idea of how hard this movie is to engage it yourself and let us know what you think. Um, but the thing I'm that I'm struck with is just with the title. This idea of like it seems like on both sides, the thing that they're sharing, the struggle that the priest, the prisoners, Bobby Sands, the uh, prison guards, even the parents that they all share in is a hunger for something new, mm-hmm. and that's what it seems to be kind of gesturing to, like the the new kind of political revelations that they're wanting to have and or, or just you know peace or just a, a morning where I can go to work without fear that I might die in Absolutely. crosshairs and that kind of hunger is itself like eschatological um, and you see it in movies like this and I think it that's one thing that this movie does very well is it transitions you to think about how is it that we can how is it that we all hunger for something and what is it we're hungering for and, it, and I think that the the root of all of our desires you know as, as a Christian I believe uh, ultimately point back to God that God is the root of our our longings and our desires mm-hmm. and there are ways in which those can lead us astray to other things but nonetheless the root of those desires are have their end in God the desire for God mm-hmm. and I see that working out in a really interesting way in this movie um, here but yeah I mean any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up here no I think that 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 says it but um, yeah I'd love to you know hear any any feedback and this is something to I think continue to explore. I do think again for our own politics, which seem uh, a bit mild right now, right, uh, yeah. are are likely to ramp up again um, in a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to look at the history of these kind of conflicts uh, and how close we are, or sometimes we are actually engaging in violence towards one another. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of it stays, you know, quote unquote, soft. Uh, by you know battling it out on the internet or whatever in really ugly ways um, but you know uh, it could turn into acts of violence very quickly and has um, in a number of ways already and so I think you know learning right one from history 
Um, and two, yeah, practicing, you know, what, what does it look like for me to be um, aware um, and engaged, uh, but also able to challenge? Because one of the things that happened with the IRA is they became like a mafia. Right. And if you did say you didn't agree with their actions, you could be harmed by the IRA, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see that with our own cancel culture on both the right and the left. If suddenly you disagree, uh, you're outcast, right? Right. And so leaving room for us to be able to work these out and for the moderate, quote-unquote moderate, to not be the most dangerous person, you know, That's right. in yeah. the system, uh, but to actually be wrestling with these things mm -hmm. um, is very important uh, in, in, in terms of, like, valuing life yeah. uh, and being a gracious person. Well, I think that's an excellent uh, benediction for our time together, um, and I think that's a good challenge. It seems like the last two movies have kind of ended on that similar um, note that we yeah. covered here. Um, but yeah, that that's about uh, it for us. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of the of the Art House uh, Road Show. Um, if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is leave a review on whatever platform. Uh, you and encounter us on that really helps other people find us um, on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, those kind of things. So you can leave a review in all those places. Coming up for us um, in March during Lent, we're going to cover uh, uh, Terrence Malick films. We're just going to talk about him as a director and, and during Lent and kind of get into and dig into the kind of work that he helps us think about. Right on. In April, in Easter season, we're going to cover an old film, an older film, uh, The Passion of the Joan of Arc, and then once we hit May, uh, we'll go into uh, Beast of No Nation, um, which we've been talking about for a little bit. I got a review or two coming up uh, here in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Death on the Nile and maybe even Uncharted and um, you know you might be hearing more from us on some of our collaborative things but we're still working out what that looks like and we just appreciate you uh, staying tuned uh, to see what's going on the best way to stay in touch with us is to follow us on social media as we said earlier uh, our main Twitter handle is at Art House Road Show or at, at Art House Road sorry and uh, our individual ones uh, Kyle at, at Cinema 1978 and me at Duke 13th Theo but uh we're uh, really happy that you're joining us, and we will see you next time. Peace. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.